This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay. Purim, because this Shabbos, Mitzvah Shem, we're benching with Chaydesh Adrasheni. I think it's next week, Thursday and Friday, if I'm not mistaken. And it's also Pasha Shkolim, which is um, the first of the four Pasha, special Pasha, Pasha Para, Pasha Shkolim, Pasha Zohar. Pasha Chodesh. So we're already getting to Pesach. We're already pouring Pesach. It's all happening. It's happening really fast, even though we had an extra month. All right. Um, so my Svarim are not in the car that I came with. I'm going to have to tell you everything by heart. I really wanted to read it to you from inside, but we'll tell it to you from by heart. We're going to start off with two questions that were asked to me by two different girls this week. I like to talk about stuff that happens during the week. Rapesa Kron asked me, he says, Rabbi Wallstein, how do you give a different share every week? Like, how do you come up with these stories? I'm like, Rabbi, every week it's a different story. Every week. So, this week was a big question, two very big questions that we're going to have a discussion about. So, a girl came to speak to me, and um, I'm saying right now because I'm a guy that I don't understand your challenge at all, being a girl. Okay, let's put that out before the shir tonight. So, so one of the biggest challenges of a girl is what? Sneers. Sneers comes before dating, right? I'm saying when they're when they're much younger, it's a challenge of a girl. It's not really a challenge of a guy. We don't really like, you know, how long my sleeves are. If I'm wearing short sleeves or long sleeves, not really. Um, and we wear pants, so like, oh, that's it, right? So. It's, it's not. It's not a guy's. It's not a boy's challenge. We have other challenges. Everyone has their own challenges. Just Everybody has their own challenges. And she she said something very real, and I don't know who in this room needs to hear it, but there are people watching. Maybe they need to hear it. She said, "Red Wallstein, I went to high school and I went to seminary, and we had many, many, many yoma eons on on sneers and and a lot of classes on sneers. And we talk about sneers. And she said, and I, and I understand that." It's important. She said, but, but let's get real. I said, okay, here we go. She said, the bottom line is that from girl, any type of girl, women are born, this is not what she said, but women need attention. The reason when you, when you get married and you bring your wife home a rose, Right? She's all excited. You remember the anniversary of her birthday. You bring her home a rose for Shabbos. Like, what are you getting so excited about? It's $2. If a husband came home and said, I really care about you. Here's $2. He better run. Because, or a dollar. Sometimes you buy a rose for a dollar. The girl's like, I can't believe it. You bought me a rose. Right? Like, wow. What are you so excited about? It's a dollar. Right? So it's not it's not the dollar it's not it's not how much it costs it's that the husband spent time in his day a busy day and thought about his wife for a moment when he went to buy the rose it's the it's the thought it's the it's the time a woman needs attention it's not, I'm not saying it as a lack I'm not saying it as a as something bad it's just it's she's maternal she likes to give attention but she also likes to get attention and that's why in the Jewish world I'm learning the Sefer Shabbos the Sefer Shabbos is full of halachas of makeup on Shabbos. 
So it's mashma that the Gemara understood that women put makeup on Shabbos and they used to wear things around their neck that smelled good. Are you allowed to have that on Shabbos? You're not allowed to have that on Shabbos. Pages and pages of Gemara on this. So, so she said, the bottom line is, Rabbi, that, that it's the girl that, that gets, puts on the makeup and the, and, and, and the nail polish and has a little couple, couple of streaks in her hair. You know, and the, the, at the wedding, the guys were standing with the, with the, with the shatchin, right? The guy from the shatchin, the famous shatchin that came to the wedding. And, and the guys are standing by, and they're like, you see that girl in the corner? You know, the one that with the long hair and, and, and all dressed up and she looks amazing. Could you get her name? You know, I, I, you know, can you set me up? She said, I'm a snua. No, no one, no one points to the shatchin and at the wedding says, could you set me up with her? She says, because I don't put on makeup. And, and I don't get dressed like that. And I don't do my hair like that. And, and I'm following what everyone's supposed to say, but, but Rabbi, no one's pointing at me. It's the end of the day, the girl that's maybe not so tsnua, she's get, she's married and I, I'm not, and I'm not. So this girl's going through a struggle. I'm sure there's other people that have gone through this struggle, whatever it is. Um, so first of all, I have to make a statement, which is a very important statement for the rest of your lives, everybody that's listening. If Hashem tells us to do something, He tells us that the right thing for a woman is to be covered and to be a tznuah. If you think that you're not going to get a shidduch because you're doing what Hashem tells you to do, then He's not Hashem. If He's punishing you for doing the right thing, oh, the girl who does the Aveira, she's going to get the shidduch. But you, who's doing what He told you to do, you're not going to get the shidduch because you're doing what he told you to do? How could that be God? If you're following what Hashem wants you to do, he's going to punish you for doing the right thing? It cannot be. So if you think you're not getting a shidduch because this girl is dressed like this and you're not dressed like this, it has nothing to do with anything. Ask Rus. Ask Rus, who came from Moab, from the worst place in the world, and ends up marrying Boaz, and from her comes David Melech and Mashiach. Like, how would that ever work? Ask Sipora, who lived in Midian, talk about not getting a date. Talking about the worst resume you're ever going to have. Hi, my name is Sipora. Who's your father? Kohen Midian. A priest that bowed down and served every Avodazar in the world. Oh, we're going to read her a shit. And she's one of seven daughters. And there's a joke. That says Yisrael had seven names. If you learn Rashi, Yisrael, Yeser, Chayvav, I had it on a test, that's the only reason I remember it. Uh, Reuel, uh, Yeser, right? So, so, the joke is, why do you have to have seven names? Who has seven names? It's because he had seven daughters. And after every wedding, he went bankrupt, he had to change his name. Okay, anyway, it's just a little joke about. But, Moshe Rabbeinu, Kitov, he's born with a brisvila, he's all lit up, he lives in Mitzrayim, Sipora lives out in Midian. They have nothing to do with each other. How's it ever going to happen? He's 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 the son of of of, of Yocheved and 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 the Levi and Shevet Levi, and he's, he's he's born Toiv and he's a tzaddik. And you have this girl that lives out there in Midian. Her father is a priest, a lowlife. Her house is full of avodah zara. How, how's that ever going to happen? Ah, Hashem took him. He ran out of Mitzrayim. He ended up by the by the rock. The girls were being bothered by the shepherds. He rolls over the rock. He pulls the, he pulls the stick out of the Hakadosh Baruch Hu. If you think for one second you're not going to get a shidduch because you're doing the right thing, then you don't believe in God. It's the wrong God. It doesn't exist. He will never punish you. The consequence cannot be negative. 
So if you think, oh, she got a guy because she was provocative and she wore a short skirt and she's got streaks in her hair and that's why she's married and I'm not, you're a fool. You're a fool. That's not why you're not married. Maybe it's a different time. Maybe the boy's not ready yet. There's a million different reasons, but that's not why you're not married. If you believe in Hashem that if you do something right and because you did something right, because you're honest, you're poor, then there's, then, then there's no God. Because you're honest, you're poor. He's punishing you. If you're a crook, you're rich. No, that's not, that's not why you're poor. There's a different reason, whatever it is. We don't know the reason, but it cannot be because you're doing the right thing. It cannot be. So I said to her, that has to, that has to go out the window. You think that the guy was standing by Mechitza telling her because she's prettier and she's dressed up and all that, and you're not. If you think that, first of all, that's going to even work and that's going to be a good marriage, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't run the world. There's no way that a person gets punished for doing the right thing. There's no way. That's number one, I told her. But number two, there's a a beautiful, I'll read it to you from inside. I remember when I learned this as a kid, I was like, wow, I could not believe it that Abraham Avino didn't know what his wife looked like. That was so strange to me as a kid, right? He didn't know what she looked like. How could that be? Let's see. So he's going down to, he's going down to Mitzrayim. Because there's a hunger in Eretz Yisrael. Let's see where it says this. And Lot did not tell on him. Here. The Hirobo Eretz was a hunger. Vayered Avram Mitzrayim. Avram went down to Mitzrayim. Vayikashi Hikri Vlobay Mitzrayim. When he got close to Mitzrayim, Vayoma Avram Avinu said, El Sarai Ishto to Sarai his wife. Hine behold, no, behold, now I know, ki isha yifas mara'at. It's very nice, no? Abram said to his wife, that's nice, good, good, good relationship. He said, you know, now I know you're beautiful. Abram Avinu said that to Sarai. Wow. Like we thought these people were not human, right? He said to his wife, now I know that you're beautiful. So Rashi bothers Rashi very much. What do you mean now you know? Like until now you didn't know? Like what, what does that mean? Okay, so Rashi's, Rashi says the following. I know, where we're going. Let me, let me get through this. The Rashi says, Until now, he did, he wasn't makir, right? Her, he didn't recognize her because they were tsnua. So now, when you learned this Rashi, what did you think? He never looked at her? What does that mean? Because she was the tsnua, he didn't know what she looked like? Come on. Mom, she didn't know what she looked like? But what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean she didn't know what she looked like? I'm going to tell you what Rashi means. Very fascinating. What does it mean she didn't know what she looked like, right? Because she was a tznui, you didn't know what she looked like? Okay. Now he recognized her beauty. We know she washed her face. She, she was in the desert and she washed her face in the water and he saw her face in the reflection. When he saw her face in the reflection, he said, whoa, I didn't know you were that beautiful, Right? So here's a big question. The Gemara asks. The Gemara says, the halacha is that you have to, before you get married, you have to know what your wife looks like. It's very important. So that's why by the Badekin, not by, not by, um, by Svadim, by Ashkenazim, so he dances in, he sees her, right? He sees her face. That's the girl. I got the right girl. They didn't switch on me. They didn't go to the wrong hall, right? That's the right girl. Then he covers her face. Now, when they go into the chuppah, maybe they did a switch. Maybe did a rochaleya. Maybe her best friend, right? Maybe her best friend did a little switch, as I, right? So under the chuppah, under the chuppah, 
you'll see when they, they when he puts the ring on her finger, so she has to see him. She has to make sure that he's the right guy. So she's covered. Some other guy could be marrying her. She's putting her finger out, right? Right? He could be marrying her. It would be a big problem. So they take her veil all the time, no matter how thick the veil is, and they lift it up, and she says, yeah, that's the guy. Right? And he looks at her and goes, that's the girl, because they could have switched after the, right? Maybe she felt bad for her friend. She said, okay, you go instead of me. Who knows, right? So he has to make sure he's got the right girl. And he looks at her, and you know, and so, so the Gemara asks, so how could Rashi say, how could it be that he didn't know what she looked like? He, you're not allowed to marry someone unless you know what they look like. So at the wedding, he saw her face. So why now all of a sudden he's saying she's beautiful? That's the kasha. Because according to the Gemara, according to Allah, you have to, so now you realize it? When you married her, you realized it. That's the kasha. So as, as, as Ruth said, so Rashi says, because he said, amazing, he said, when you travel, you don't put on makeup, it's sandy, the wind's blowing, your hair's all over the place, you're, you're not, you're not in, you know, you're not in, in, in a house. So when you travel, you don't look as good as sort of like when you wake up in the morning. You don't look as good when you wake up in the morning as you do the rest of the day. So, so Rashi says that Avram Avinu said, look at her beauty. She looks the same when we're traveling. She didn't lose her beauty when we're traveling. She must be, she's amazing. She's very, very beautiful. Because everyone else loses their beauty. She didn't lose her beauty. That's what Rashi says. That still doesn't answer the question. What do you mean? Because she was at Tznuah, he didn't see her. He had to see her, halakhically. So I'm learning with Shekhtar Shabbos with my brother. And this came up. And my brother Eliezer said, you're at a totally different terrace. And Baruch Hashem, he told me this Gemara right the day before this girl came to ask me this question. So it's like Hashem like set this whole thing up. And he said something, girls, this is an amazing answer. You have to say this over on Shabbos. This is an amazing answer. Rashi says that he saw a reflection, right? Rabbi Vino didn't marry Sarah. Yes, he did see her by the he saw her by the way. He saw her by the wedding. He had to see her by the wedding. But that's not what he liked. He liked her premius. He liked who she was. She was a Sadekista. She was a Tsnua. She was very special. Her personality, who she was. He met her. He liked her. He married her. He didn't marry her because of her outside beauty. He didn't even recognize her outside beauty. He recognized her inside beauty. When you're beautiful inside, you're automatically beautiful outside. When you're beautiful outside, you're usually not so beautiful inside because you've got all kinds of problems. You're a big shot. You look at yourself the whole time. You think you're better than everyone else. You have to work on yourself, right? There's a very famous story. There was a, a hunchback, um, and he was very, very, very ugly. And there's two stories about it. I'm just... Whatever Hashem puts in my head, I tell you. So, so I always say a prayer. It should come out of my mouth what you need to hear, not what I need to say. To, I'll tell you two stories with hunchbacks. So there was a very ugly, broken hunchback, and um, the kids used to make fun of him and spit at him and throw things and rocks at him and all kinds of things. And um, he never went to shul. He was always very upset and very angry. He didn't dive and he didn't learn because he was he was never went through that. So after 120 years, he came up to Shemaim. He died. And they brought him to Bezan Shalmaila, and Hashem said to him, well, well, I don't understand. Well, you didn't go to shul, you didn't dive, you didn't do any mitzvahs. What's wrong with you? He said, you created me, this ugly God. You did this to me. And because I was so ugly, everybody all day long threw things and made fun of me. And I wasn't going to go to shul and dive and do anything like that um, because, because everyone was making fun of me. So it's not my fault, it's your fault. Hashem said, okay, I'm not judging you. We'll fix you. Made him gorgeous. Was born as a kid, beautiful, handsome kid. Grew up. Guy was the most handsome guy in the whole world. 
did every Aveira with every woman that you could imagine that you can't imagine. He was so busy with girls and women and, and an actor and a singer and a rocker and he, he, he forget about it. Never went to shul, never davened, never did anything. Comes up to Shemayim. Shem said, what happened? Why did you go to shul? He says, it's your fault, Hashem. You made me beautiful. So no matter what, no matter, you're ugly, you're beautiful, you're not, it, it's, it's always his fault. So, so Hashem said, no matter what I'm going to make you, you're going to blame, in, in other words, whatever you are, you have to figure out a way to serve me that way. That's how you have to figure out. Okay. That's one step. But there's a much deeper story about a hunchback. So there was, um, this is with the Divrei Chaim. I believe the Divrei Chaim who was the Rebbe of all Rebbe's. So there was a, 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 a man in a town that was a very, very bad, not only was a hunchback, he was very ugly. He was twisted. His features were twisted and like no woman would go near him. And he was getting older and nobody was going to marry him. Nobody would date him. Nobody would, no girl would talk to him. He was like, they tried to write him Shaduchim from other towns. Like, they took one look at him and they're like, no. There's this one Sadekista girl. And she said, I feel bad for him. I'm going to marry him. Beautiful girl. Beautiful girl. I'm going to marry him. Everyone's like, what? You're going to marry the hunchback? He's so, her friends are like, are you crazy? You fall on your head. She says, it's the biggest mitzvah. Because nobody wants to go near him. I'm going to marry him. Okay, they all said Sadekista is amazing. It's a true story, the Divrechaim. So she gets married, and um, after the chuppah, whatever it is, they go home. She can't. She can't be with him. She can't. He's just so ugly. She just can't. She just can't. She's like, I can't. I can't do. I, I really wanted to. I really wanted to do this for him. I can't. He's just so so bad. I can't. So she says to him, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break your heart, but I can't be married to you. Of course, he's very, very broken. He's like, what's everyone going to say? She says, I can't. He says, okay, let's go to the Rebbe. Rebbe Chaim, I think it was the Rebbe Chaim. True story. Crazy story. So he, he goes to the Rebbe Chaim. And they walk in. She walks in with this monster. And, and no, you, this is what the story, this, this, this is how they say the story. Nebuch. Nebuch. That's... This is, it's very important that you look at this because that's who she was supposed to be. And, and she walks in with this guy and, and, and she says to the Rebbe, she says, I tried. I married him. I, I really wanted to be his wife. I can't, I can't, I can't be with him. I can't be married to him. Rebbe Chaim says, why? She says, he's so ugly, I can't. Rebbe Chaim says, you think you're so beautiful? She goes, I don't know. He says, why don't you look at yourself in the mirror? Go to the mirror. Goes to the mirror. She starts screaming and yelling. She's a hunchback. Her face is twisted. Her features are twisted. You, she can't even look at herself. She said, what did you do to me, Rebbe? Why did you do to me? Why did you punish me? I really wanted to be with him. I really wanted to marry him. How can you do this to me? And she's like, oh, crazy. She looks like him in a female. The Rebbe did this to her. Rebbe says, I didn't do anything to you. He says, let me tell you who this person is that you want to leave. The two of you were online, same age, born on the same day. So the two of you were online to come to this world. And she, and she was standing in front of him, this girl. And the Malach said that because of what you did last time you were here, and you can imagine what she did, what she was. 
this time you're going to come back to the world so ugly that no man will ever touch you as a kapara for what you did last time. And this hunchback, this person, this neshama, was behind her. And said to the malach, she's a girl. You, you can't do this to her. You cannot make her look like that. I'll take the punishment for her. He was supposed to be born handsome and normal. But he took her hunchback. He took her twisted figure. The Rebbe said, you see what he looks like? That's what you're supposed to look like. He took it for you. How could she walk away from such a person? She said, okay, I'll have to just work it out. I'm, I'm not going to leave him. I'll never leave him. I can't believe it. She started crying. She said, she was like, I can't believe you did this for me. Your whole life you're suffering and nobody looks at you and, and this is who I was supposed to be and I will never leave you. But please, Rebbe, make me look back the way I used to look. And Rebbe said, you never, you never change. Go look in the mirror. And she looks in the mirror and she's back to the way she used to be. She never, her body never changed. It was just a, a play of the mirror. You never know who takes your stuff for you. It's a crazy story. But the story happened in this, in this Ornava, not on this side of the room, but on that side of the room, about seven years ago, maybe eight years ago. There was a girl that came to my share every night. At that time, there was no Torah any time, so if you wanted to hear my share, you had to actually come. So this room was full. And there was a girl that used to sit in front of me that was Down syndrome. She came every single week. She was sitting here in front of me. And for a while, she used to bring me the water. Then another girl, who's an amazing girl, who just got married, she's fantastic, um, used to bring me the water. Um, but she used to sit there. She never said a word. And I was talking about, I'm not going to say it over tonight, but I was talking about the whole butterfly effect and why Ornava is a butterfly and that, that you... Um, you start off as a caterpillar, and then you go into a, into a cocoon by yourself, and you have to work it out, and you go through a metamorphosis, and this ugly little bug becomes the most beautiful insect in the world, which is a monarch or, or a butterfly. And why did Hashem do that? Why didn't Hashem just create a butterfly and a caterpillar? A cat doesn't go become a lion. Nothing else metamorphosizes. Nothing. So well, Hashem ran out of time. Like He couldn't create a butterfly and a caterpillar. He's like, okay, let's make a caterpillar. We don't got time for any butterfly. You'll work it out. You'll become a butterfly. Like, what happened? So, so the reason really is, the reason is brought down the Zayar, that a parpar, what happens in the, what happens in the cocoon is it becomes a chrysalis. It, it dries up and becomes a powder. It dies, becomes a powder. That, and then from that powder, 30 days later, comes out the most beautiful insect. So the Zayar says that Hashem did that. Of course, he had time to make both. To teach us about, about Mason, that people who don't believe that you're going to put a bone in the, in the, in the ground, and then, and then when, when Mashiach comes, the bone's going to have a new body. How could that be? Hashem said, I'm going to show you in an insect. There's a caterpillar, it becomes powder, becomes a bone, becomes nothing, no life, no veins, no brain, no nothing. And from that comes a live insect, the most gorgeous, most gorgeous insect. So Hashem is saying that, yes, you're going to go into the ground, and you're going to rot like a metamorphosis in a cocoon, because you, no, you can't have more than one butterfly in a cocoon. It's only one at a time. So when a person dies, the cocoon that they put him in is in the grave. And then he rots. And then there's a bone left. And from that bone comes a new, a new person. So like, how could that be? 
We have it happen every day. Butterfly does it every day. It goes into cocoon, it rots, becomes powder, and then from that comes an insect. So the Zayar says, the rye of Tchitz HaMesim in the world is the papa. That's why, that's why there's a butterfly in the world that comes from a caterpillar. If Hashem would have created a caterpillar and a butterfly, there'd be no metamorphosis. No metamorphosis, no riots of Tchitz Okay, whatever it is. So, my whole speech to my Ornava girls is that everyone is, even if you're a caterpillar, you work it out, you get your wings, you could fly, but you don't know you could have a wings. The butterfly's wings are behind it. So the first time it's on a leaf, it has no idea. It looks down. Caterpillar has 22 legs, 11 sets of legs. It looks down. It figures it came out of this cocoon. It looks down. It's got these two little twiggy legs. It's like, what happened to me? I lost all my legs, right? So it doesn't know what to do. It's standing there. It can't walk. It has two little legs. It can't crawl, right? It can't fly because the wings are behind it. So it doesn't know it has wings. A lot of you girls don't know you have wings because they're behind you. You don't realize it. So you're scared to jump. You're scared to fly. You're scared to grow because you're like, I don't have wings, Rabbi. I can't do that. I'm like, I'm, not, I'm never going to make it. So it's the scariest moment when the butterfly actually jumps off the tree and flies for the first time. But it's also the greatest moment because this little thing never flew. It crawled. So when a person changes their life and they become someone new and they do tshuva and they grow, it's scary. It's scary to be different. It's scary when your friends are like, that's not going to last. Come on, let's go to the movies. And you're like, no, I don't go to movies anymore. Or you tell the guy, I'm ashamed of the gear. And he's like, eh, come on, come on. You're yeah, right. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm changing. And now everyone's going to make fun of me. I'm not one of the girls. I'm not cool. I'm not smoking. I'm not listening to Gaisha music. Oh, you're from there? You listen to Rabbi Wallerstein? Eh, don't worry. In 30 days, you'll be like us. Eh. And you feel like, oh man, I'm a freak. I'm still like a freak. Everyone's like, they're looking at me like I'm weird. Sure, you're, you're in the cocoon. Your wings are behind you. You're like, you're looking down at your leg. You're like, what happened to me? I frummed out. I flipped. Rabbi, I flipped. What a terrible word. You didn't flip. You grew. I was I flipped. I'm like, really? You didn't flip? You grew. Don't let them tell you flip. Because flips means you did something you're with sugar. I flipped out. Right? Flipped out means I went nuts. So the Yetzirah used the word, when you from out, you flipped. When you go off the derech, no one ever said you flipped. <laughs> person who goes from being from to not from, they don't say you flipped. It's when you're not from, you become from, you flipped. Why do they use that word? Because the connotation is you flipped, you're sugar. You don't listen to Goyesha music, you're not. You're shaming the gear, what's wrong with you? Right? Well, son, you got from, you're from that, you flipped that. So you feel very alone. So my first speech in Arnava is, so another butterfly has to come by and say, hey, you, standing on that twig, scared to jump, you got what I got. You can fly like me. And that was the whole idea of Arnava, was to teach girls that you have wings. So we have, we're going to show you that you're much greater than you are. That's how we, that's how I opened up Ornava. That's how it, that's how the whole, the whole story started. Anyway, so I'm saying this over in Ornava. I remember exactly where I'm sitting. I remember exactly where she's sitting. And she says to me, and when I finish my shear, she comes up to me. She never said a word to me. Years. She never said a word to me. She says, could I go upstairs and tell you a story? Because I would always go upstairs to meet people. Could I go upstairs and tell you a story? Am I okay? What is she going to tell me already, right? The true story. We go upstairs. I sit down. She looks at me very seriously. Rabbi Wallerstein, do you know the story of the moth? I said, the moth? She goes, yeah, there's a story about the moth. I'm like, okay, what's the story of the moth? Because I said the story of the butterfly. She's going to tell the story of the moth. She said, there was once a girl, and she was sitting with her grandmother. I remember she told me this. And she's like, Claire, very clear. No, no, like very clear. There's a girl, and she's sitting with her grandmother on the porch, and a big, fat, ugly moth lands on the porch. 
And the girl takes her shoe off to kill it. So she tells me. I'm like, whoa, this is a pretty heavy story. Right? And the grandmother says, don't kill the moth. And the little girl says, why not, ma? Don't they eat clothing? Grandma, don't they eat clothing? The grandmother says, do you know the story of the moth? And the little girl says, no. And she says, this is the story of the moth. When Hashem created the world, Hashem created the world, He created butterflies. And He gave them all His colors. And then, the world sinned. And Hashem said, I'm destroying the world. And He destroyed the world. But then Hashem said, I'm never going to destroy the world again. And to prove that, I'm going to create the rainbow. Right? The, the proof that there's a bris, Hashem made a deal, is the rainbow. That's why you make a bracha. Right? But Hashem, she's telling the story. But Hashem had no colors left. He gave it all to the butterflies. So he couldn't make his rainbow. This is the story she's telling me. She couldn't make his rainbow. So Hashem called all the butterflies together and said, I need some of my colors back to make the rainbow. And some of the butterflies said to Hashem, we will give you our colors so you can make the rainbow. And those are the moths. They're butterflies. Who, they're, they have no color. They gave their colors up to Hashem to make the rainbow. And that's why Rabbi Wallerstein, he never allowed to kill a moth because a moth is really a butterfly who gave his colors to Hashem. I was like, wow. Who told you that story? She looked at me, she goes, I'm not telling you. I'm like, we'll be besties, best friends. Who told you that story? I'm not telling you. I don't know. I could not ever get who told that story. I'm a believer. I believe in Hashem. I believe everything happens every moment, every day, every word, every question. There's a reason. I'm like, what was this Down syndrome girl telling me? This is a crazy story. Now, it's not a medrash, because people heard the story and they're like, oh, what a medrash. No, there's no medrash. Hashem never ran out of colors. He didn't need, but right? It's a story that's, there's a reason. I'm like, it's not a medrash, and it's not true. So I don't want anyone coming out of this year and saying like, wow, moth, Hashem, need a colors, whatever it is. I didn't, I didn't know. I could not figure out what she was telling me. So I call, I went to my, I happened to have gone to Eretz Yisrael. It just bothered me. It was the end of it. I kept going through Arnava. And then I was in Eretz Yisrael. I went to Rabbi Gamliel and I told him over the whole story. I told my Rebbe, I said, what, what was Hashem telling me here? You know, the mouth of a Down syndrome child. This is a very clear message. What's the message? And Rabbi Gamliel said, maybe she was telling you that really she was supposed to be normal and she gave her colors to someone else. Exactly like the story with the Derechaim with the hunchback. Maybe she was telling you people don't look at, look at us that we're different and people look at us, you know, in a different way. We're really like everyone else, just we gave our colors to someone else. That's what my Rebbe told me. He says, that's what she was telling She's sitting in front of you for years. Don't look at her any different than anyone else. She's telling you, I'm just like, the, I'm the butterfly. I just gave my colors to Hashem. I gave my colors up for something, for someone else. Wow. Crazy. Crazy message. What an amazing message. Why am I telling you this? I have no idea. <laughs> I do have an idea. I'll tell you why. So we still have this question in Rashi. Rashi saying that he saw her beauty going, but 
But he definitely saw her. He definitely saw her when he married her. So my brother said like this, very, very beautiful, very deep. My brother said over from Chazal, I'm not sure which Rishon he said it over from, but he said, Abraham Avinu was saying like this, I didn't marry you for your physical beauty. I married you for your internal beauty. What a beautiful person you are. So I never saw your physical beauty. It wasn't, didn't, wasn't important to me. It wasn't, it wasn't why I married you. But this was the first time ever in my life that I saw your reflection. A reflection has no inner beauty. It's just a reflection. So the first time in his life he saw her outer beauty because there is no inner beauty in a reflection. That's what Rashi's saying. Rashi's saying, sure he knew what she looked like, but he didn't look at her as, wow, she's physically beautiful. He looked at her as, this is a beautiful person I'm married to. Now we saw a reflection. There's no inner beauty in a reflection. So now he said, wow, even without your inner beauty, you're beautiful. That's what Rashi is saying. That's, so I said to this girl, I said, a girl who's not sneers is just a reflection. There's no inner beauty. Is that what you want to be? You want to be a reflection? You want to be makeup, body parts, hair, like with a streak in your hair, with maybe this and that, what, that's what you want to be? You want to be somebody's reflection? That's what you want to be, a reflection in the water? I said, sneers means that the person who's attracted to you is attracted to your inner beauty. And that never changes. And that the more you're married, the more the inner beauty becomes more beautiful. The physical beauty, the older you get, the less beautiful a person is. It's just the way it is. You have kids, you have this, you have that. You, you, you know, at 80 years old, you're not, you know, I don't want to say anything about 80 years old. It's, but if you have inner beauty at 80 years old, listen, the Gedalim, the Gedalim that I went to visit, you, are they beautifully, physically? Are they on the cover of CQ? Are they like, are they, is this like the model guy? You look at Rav Chaim, He's exuding beauty. The shape of his nose or his eyebrows or his teeth or his height. There's a glow. You sit in front of him like, I was just in, in, in front of the most beautiful man in the world. What do you mean the beautiful man? If you, you put him as, a, as an actor in, 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 in Los Angeles, they're going to be like, wow. They're going to be like, what? So the, the inner beauty gives outer beauty. So the longer you're married to someone and the more you know them, and the more they're there for you and you're there for each other, the greater their inner beauty, the closer the relationship. But if you're, if you're just a reflection, if you're not a snua and it's all about your makeup and the streak in your hair and your dress and all that and provocativeness and all that, so the guy that's interested in you, he doesn't see your inner beauty, he's only interested in your reflection. Well, guess what? Your reflection gets worse and worse as you get older. But the girl in the office who's 19 years old, and you're 35, and you have six, seven kids, and she's 19, all of a sudden he's looking at reflections, and you're like, why, why is my husband looking at other girls? Well, that's what you were selling him. That's what he was buying. So, like, what do you expect? So I said to this girl, I'm like, you just stay snua. You just stay with inner beauty. Believe me, you won't get punished for it. You won't get punished. You're getting a rum of Venom. That's what you'll get. You'll never get punished for doing the right thing. That was question number one this week. Question number two this week, which we, we spoke a little bit about last week, but people are going to hop. Not last week. I wasn't here last week. Two weeks ago. I got this question again this week. 
if Hashem is good, and He only does good, how come there's so much bad? How come there's so much pain? How come there's so many people sick, and so many people hurt, and so many people abused, and so many people not married, and crisis, 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 crisis. If Hashem is good, and everything's good, and everything He does is good, how can that be? So, yes, you go into a doctor's office, you're watching, you've never seen a doctor, you lived in the woods, you come into a doctor's office and you see parents holding down a child and a man in a white jacket with a big needle sticking into a kid's thigh. You're like, savages, murderers, killers. I'm out of here. I, I don't want to be with these people. Meanwhile, the guy's giving him a shot because the kid has has pneumonia and he's giving him penicillin and he's saving his life. But if you don't, right? So the answer is we don't understand. We really don't understand. That's really the answer. If you don't understand Hashem's picture, Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem and Hashem said, I have to, I have to start from the beginning of the world to the, show you to the end of the world for you to understand why, what, what I do things and I'm not destroying the world to show you. I'm not, you know, taking the whole suit apart to show you the inside of the suit because I'm not going to destroy the world to show you that. And he didn't show it to Moshe Rabbeinu. But, I, so, so that's a moon and I'm, 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 it's very hard. It's very hard when you're going through pain to be thinking like that. Well, I want to tell you what I told her. It's sort of the same thing I just said before. I'm like, okay. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who believe in God, those who don't believe in God. So the atheist, who doesn't believe in, in God, believes that stuff just happens. The world just happened. You used to be a monkey. Now you're a human. And two million years from now, you'll be an Apple phone. And then you'll be a big computer, and then maybe a rocket ship, because evolution, right? So everything's evolution. So that's a theory of randomness. Stuff, stuff just happens. Molecules hit each other, they exploded, out came Earth, out came all the planets, out came the sun. It's just random stuff, random physics. Random physics is huge, right? Just stuff happens. So why are people rich and some people poor? Why are people healthy and some people not? Just not lucky. And some people are lucky. It's just a random thing. Take ten people, throw them off a cliff, Stuff's going to happen, right? Maybe one will live. He's just randomly lucky. He hit the rock before everyone else hit the rock. Or he landed on the other nine. <laughs> Look at that. Random. He's lucky. The other nine didn't make it, but he made it. In the theory of randomness, it's a terrible life. Why is it a terrible life? Because that means that I'm sick, or I'm poor, or I'm in pain for no reason. Just not lucky. I'm not married, I don't have children, I'm in pain, I'm sick, I'm this, I'm that. You know why? No reason. What a great life. I'm living for no reason. I'm going, I came from nowhere, I'm going nowhere, I'm doing nothing. It's just randomness. Everyone's just running around, bumping into each other, and stuff happens. Right? Molecules, atoms, it's a big theory. It's a stupid theory, but it's a big theory. So, I said to the girl, I said, so, if, if you're an atheist, you have no one to be angry at. What a life. There's, you can't say, Hashem, why'd you do that? There's no Hashem. There's no one to be angry. Who are you angry at? You're angry that you're not lucky, but you believe in randomness. So, you, you're angry at randomness. You can't be angry at randomness. So, if you're an atheist, you can't be angry at anybody. It's just too bad. Some people make it, some people don't. Okay, so that takes care of them. You have, no one to, you have no reason to be angry. Now, if you believe in Hashem, you also have no reason to be angry. Because if God just does stuff, right? So you be sick, you don't get married, you don't have children, you're poor, you're rich, 
So God's random. He's not doing anything for any reason. But if God's random, then he's not God. Because the theory of randomness is that if things are random, there's no, there's no creator, there's nothing. So if, if, if Hashem does stuff just because he thinks it's funny that you're crying and you're in pain, then he's doing things for no reason. If he's doing things for no reason, then he's not God. So God can't do things for no reason. Then there's no God. So it must be that there's a reason. If there's a reason, what am I angry about? If there's a reason that he's doing it, there's a reason that I'm sick, there's a reason that the person lost money, there's a reason that he's not married. If there's a reason, and everything's Ashkaka Pratis, and there's a reason because there's God, everything has a reason, so what am I angry about? Whatever I'm going through has a good reason. If it has a good reason, there's no reason for me to be angry. So whether I believe in God or I don't believe in God, there's no reason for me ever to be angry. If I believe in God, there's no reason to be angry. If I don't believe in God, there's no reason to be angry. You following me? So I said to her, what's your problem? And if you believe that God just gives out pain, then you don't believe in God. If you believe that God just does gives out pain for no reason, then you do not believe in God. Stop pointing at God. It's random. There's no God. If you believe pain is for no reason, there's no God. God doesn't do anything random. He is the opposite of the theory of randomness. The people who believe in evolution don't believe in God. People who believe in God don't believe in evolution. They're opposites. So if you really believe in Hashem, then He's not random. He doesn't just do things. There's a reason for everything. There's a reason for the moth, and there's a reason for the butterfly, and there's a reason for everything that happens. If there's a reason for everything that happens, there's no reason to be angry. And she's like, okay. I said, but to live like that when you're in pain, it's very hard. It's very hard. And it's a lot of work. And it comes from, it comes from Amuna. It comes from working and connecting and understanding that I don't understand. The first thing you need to know is you don't understand anything. That's number one. Because the more you understand, the more you understand Hashem, the more you understand you don't understand. If you start studying the human body, then you really realize that you don't understand the human body at all. It's when you don't study the human body, like, okay, everything works, eh? nerves and, and veins and sinews and, and, and brain waves and how that whole system works. The more you become a doctor, it's like, oh my gosh, it's even deeper than that and deeper than that and deeper than that and deeper than that and deeper than that. And you realize it's much bigger than I think. You get on a plane, you don't think about why, why the plane doesn't crash, it's weighs all that and it's 40,000 feet in the air. You're not, you're not doing aeronautics and you're not doing physics, but if you started doing physics, it would be, it would be, you'd say like, I really don't understand in the physical world with this gravity, like, how does this work? And the whole thing of gravity, we don't even, we don't even appreciate it. That a plane takes off weighing what it weighs with all the people in it is because there's gravity. Gravity is like, it's, it's pushing against the gravity. If there's no gravity, it has no push. So, so Hashem put things in the world that you don't even see. It gives you the ability to fly. It, it's, the, so the more you, understand, the more you realize there's so much going on here, I don't understand. And we, we're not on that level that we could, you want to ask something? Yes. Yeah. You want to know why? Because they have a big problem. If, why are big, big doctors atheists? It says, the Gemara says, the good doctors are going to hell, the bad doctors are not going to hell. Why? Because the bad doctors know it's not them. They, have, they need Hashem. The good doctor is like this. Imagine you're a brilliant physicist and you figured out all types of theories. 
If you believe in God, you get no credit. Because God gave you the IQ, the 185, 185 IQ. He gave you the brains. He gave you the ability to think. He gave you the... But if there's no God, look what I made myself. Nobody helped me. I did this. So, I don't believe that there are any atheists. I don't believe that anyone really believes, anyone stupid enough to think that stuff just happens. The more brilliant you are, the more you know that's not true. Because in science, nothing comes from nothing. So, even in the theory of the Big Bang Theory, that there was a proton and a neutron and they hit each other and they exploded and out came Earth, the question that the rabbis always say to the scientists, where did the proton and neutron come from? There has to be a creation. And they're like, we don't know. They came from 20 million years ago, from something else called a ziaton, okay? And where did that come from? Oh, that was 40 million years before that. But you, you, you always come to something that was created, and they can't argue with that. It's, it's, it's just, when you have God, you have rules. Well, people don't want to live by rules. So you get rid of God, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. There's no Torah, there's no God, there's nothing. And if I'm a brilliant doctor, it's my hands. It's my hands. One of the best, biggest doctors in the world who works on babies' hearts that are this big when they're born, and he does crazy operations. His name was Dr. Q, very famous in Colombia. Mamish saved many, many Jewish children. We can't even understand. He worked in a heart. He was a surgeon on open heart surgery on a baby that was just born, like a day old, the heart's this big, and he's doing chambers and valves. and It's like, not normally, he's working under a microscope, okay? And he's the best. He's the best. He, 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 he just, right, he, he just retired. He's not doing it anymore. But I went to him. I, I had something to do with him, and before the surgery that he was doing, I walked over to him because he doesn't talk to nobody. Like, when he gets finished... He just worked eight hours on someone's kid. So he would come out and said it went very well. But doctor, have a good day. Talk to my team. Gone. But he was going back into another surgery for eight hours. He, he didn't talk to any. No bedside manners. He, but he didn't, ha- he didn't need to. He did his work and whatever it was. So I met him. And I, said, I went over to him because I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, I don't stand for this atheism business. And um, I, didn't ask him, I didn't ask him if he believes in God. I do ask some doctors. Stop, just want to know, you know, do you believe in God, whatever it is? Um, yeah, I'm very curious. I, 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 like to, I like to understand how people's minds work. Like, if you're such a big doctor and you have someone's life in your hands, like, you really don't think there's a God in this world? Like, like why? Like, I, I, I'll ask him. I'm not scared to ask. But him, I was a little bit like, this is Dr. Q. Like, you don't ask him, do you believe in God? So um, I said, I want to give you a blessing. I said, would you take a blessing? with fishing. I was fishing. He said, oh, of course I'll take a blessing. I said, I'm a priest. So he looks at me, I'm a yarmulke, he's like, you're a priest? I'm like, I'm a Jewish priest. What's a Jewish priest? I'm like, a tribe we call Kahanim, and in the Jewish world, this tribe were the Jewish priests. And we, one of the presents that God gave us is that we can give a blessing. Do you mind if I give you a blessing? He says, no, I'll take a blessing, which I was, I was fishing. I said, your hands should never shake. I said, till the day you give your soul back to the, to, the, to the Lord, your hands should never shake. He was like, that's a really nice blessing. And I was going to say, do you believe in Hashem? I, couldn't, I didn't have the guts. I didn't have the guts. He probably thought I was nuts. Like, what's this guy showing up? I don't think. Give me blessings, whatever it was. 
But yeah, I, I like to understand. I like to understand people. Like, so, so it says, Taif Shibarai from the word Taif is a test is nine and a Vav is six and a Chaf and a Bez is two, which is 17. The word Taif equals 17. Taif Shibarai from the, the doctors who think they could give life without Hashem because 17 plus one is Chai, which is 18. Taif Shibarai from the ones that think they don't need that one to make 18, they're going to end up in Gehenna. That's how they explain the Gemara. Whatever. But anyway, the, the, the bottom line is, the answer to your question is, that the greater the person is, the more Balgaiva he is, that uh, look what I did. When you have God, it's, you didn't do anything. It's look what he did. That's why it's a very lonely job Hashem has. When people do well, they're like, check it out. Man, I know what I'm doing. When they, do, when they don't do well, it's like, God, why'd you do that to me? So when you do well, you take the credit. When you don't do well, you blame him. There's only one. There's only one Hashem. I don't think anyone else takes the job. But anyway, there's only one Hashem. Hashem is Hashem. And he's, the ma- he's amazing and he's the best. And, and we have to love him and we have to trust him. And if he's God, he's not hurting you because he has a sense of humor or he wants to put you in pain because then he's not God. And if you're not getting married because you're doing what he says, then he's not God. It doesn't make any sense. You go, you're, you're doing what, he, what, what your father is telling you to do and he's punishing you for it? That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Even in humans, it's ridiculous. Definitely in God, it's ridiculous. That's the Yitzhahara telling you, oh, because you're a tznuah, you're not married. That's not why you're not married. We're supposed to get married, you're going to get married. And you, she's not married because she's not a tznuah. That's not what got her married. It's chishbainis. Hashem has this chishbainis. We don't understand this chishbainis. But he's not doing it out of randomness. That's for sure. Now, let's end with, so I got to the butterfly, the moth, all these different stories. The, the two hunchbacks. I don't know how this happened tonight, right? Okay. The hunchback story is... So the reason I told you that story is because of the girl with the moth, because that's what she was telling me. She was like, yeah, I'm Down syndrome, but I'm regular. I gave it to someone else. Who knows what goes up there in Shemayim? I don't know what goes online, what happens. I don't know what Nishamas do. Who knows? Who knows? But that, the story with the Divrei Chaim is a, is, a real, is a real story. Anyway, yes, she ended up married to him. I don't know the end of the story. They had normal kids. I know girls always like, they would get nervous. So did she have a hunchback little baby? Was he normal? Rabbi Wallace, I'm like, I don't really think they talked about that in the story. That's not the point. They had very healthy, beautiful children. And the hunchback made a plas- met a plastic surgeon. And he totally fixed him up. And he became very handsome. And they lived happily ever after. Okay, now you can all go to sleep tonight, okay? Everyone's good? Everyone's good. Okay. So the, 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 the point that I want to make tonight, I'm just going to tell it to you very, very short. We'll talk about this more next week. Esther Hamalka. Esther Hamalka was a little girl whose father died. We're going to talk a lot about this next week, but she's going to end with this little point. Her father died when she was, her mother was three months pregnant, the Medrash says. At childbirth, her mother died. She never had one second of a parent. And it brings down that Mordechai, Mordechai adopted. He was, the, he was the uncle, but he had no food for her. It's a Gemara. He had no food for her. So he had not, nothing to give her to eat. She would have died. Hashem made a miracle that he nursed her. He was able to nurse her like a woman. It's a Gemara. Whatever, why he needed that, it wasn't because he was poor, but it, bring, it bring, and it brings it to the Gemara. It brings down that Kolchai, anyone, someone, anything that Hashem creates in the world, he will supply it with what it needs. Even to the point where he made Martha, for whatever time it was, to be able, maybe once or twice, whatever it was, to be able to nurse his... To, anyway, so, 
she was, the Medrash says, she was an unbelievable tznuah. She was like the Beishako, Beishako, the Beishako, Beishako. An unbelievable tznuah. And when she heard that Asashveros was sending people around to gather all the girls in Shushan to be in his harem, she went and locked herself in the, in the, in the basement. That they should never find her. She, you have to understand, it's a basic, very snua, basako, from girl, and she's gonna end up with a guy? A guyish husband? Like, forget it, we'll be the way. So we could all imagine, she was a tzadekista, who had no parents, who was brought up by the Gadol Hadar, Mordechai, right? And she's dominating and she's saying, Tehillim, they shouldn't find me, they shouldn't find me, they shouldn't find me, I should please protect me, they shouldn't find me, I'm a snua, I don't want, I don't want anyone to look at me, I don't even want Jewish people to look at me, right? And they break down the door, and they go downstairs and they find her. Hashem, what are you doing? I, I, I'm, do, I'm doing the right thing. Let him take all the other girls that are that are not behaving, and they, all the goyim, thousands. He took thousands of women. He had a harem of thousands of every woman from every walk of life, the most beautiful women in the world. Doctor Shpiro said. So she's like, I don't know what you're doing to me, Hashem. Okay, okay. So they come to her and they say, Listen, six months we're putting you in oil, makeup, oil. Six months in perfume. So that you're going to be really provocative when you stand in front of Achishveros. She says to Haggai, who's taking care of everything, I'm a Beisako girl. I'm a Jewish Beisako girl. Oh, she didn't say she was Jewish. She didn't tell me she was Jewish. No makeup, no oil, no perfume, no lipstick. I don't want my hair done. Nothing. Nothing. So for the whole year that everybody was making themselves up, they wanted to be the queen, she went nothing. So she could imagine, and Mordechai would visit her every day, and she's davening. That's all she did. She's in this place for a year. She's davening. She's saying to Hillam, they're like, no way Hashem's going to let this happen to me. Look at all these beautiful girls that are around me. They're in oil. They're in perfume. They're in makeup. They're, they're wearing trinkets and earrings and gold. And they're making, they're not dressed exactly very sneers. They want the king to pick them. And she's, you know, she's like, Hashem will protect me. I know. Hashem will be there for me. I don't know why I ended up here. Maybe to appreciate that I'm a snoo and everyone else isn't. Maybe to appreciate, oh, okay. I'm going to come out, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a Rebetzin, I'm going to tell everybody what I saw, and I'm going to give speeches and schmoozing, and wow, amazing, right? And now it's her turn to go in front of the king. You can imagine, I just imagine, you know, like the girls when they're down in Minch on the train and everywhere else, she's got like her Tehillim as she's walking, right, not even looking up and saying her Tehillim, God forbid, a guy, you're talking about I'm going to marry the, the king, of, and he's with every woman, and ugh, that's ugh, 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 Right? And she's davening and she's davening. She comes up in front of the king. Right? No makeup. Her hair is probably not even put together. Nothing. A long dress. Newest dick dress. The king's going to be like, get that thing out of here. Get her out of here. Who wants to even look at her? I got all these beautiful girls. She goes, wow. Her heart must have gone right down, right down out of her feet. You. You're my next queen. Hashem, What? What? My whole life? I'm a tznua? I'm davening? I didn't put on any makeup? You made a miracle? You made a miracle? You're punishing me? You said, if you do the right thing, he punishes you, he's not God. You're punishing me for doing the right thing? You made a miracle. There's no way I'm the most beautiful girl here. And it doesn't say that she was the most beautiful girl there. It says she was much ashamed of. She wasn't the most beautiful. According to one measure, she was green. She had a green complexion. So one says, yeah, green was olive, olive is beautiful, whatever. But 
right? But she definitely wasn't the most beautiful girl there because it doesn't say he picked her because she's a beauty, beauty queen. He picked her because she was much a chain. Chain? This animal? Who's with 10,000 women? Is what about chain? You're my wife. The rest of them I'm going to be with, they can never leave my harem. You're my wife. She must have said, Hashem, what did you do? After married, they have to be with this guy, right? Talk about not understanding what God is doing. She didn't understand. She's like, I can't even understand. We don't even understand the Gemara talking the night that she had to be with him. She got pregnant. She had Darius. She was with him. And not only that, she gave up Mordechai because she was married to Mordechai. And if you commit adultery, if you're, if you're married to someone, you're with another person, you can't go back to the person you were with. So she knew she lost everything. She lost everything. And she did everything right. She's like, I, I don't know what's going on over here. Hashem, you're punishing me for doing the right thing. Hashem, uh, Rabbi Wallstein said, you don't punish someone for doing the right thing. It seems to be you punished me. Of all the girls, he picked me. So when the Jews are in trouble, and she says, and Mordechai says, you need to go to the king. You need to save us. She says, I'm not going to the king. Because if you're not invited to the king, and you show up, you're dead. And he didn't invite me. So if he doesn't put his scepter out, they're going to chop my head up right there. I'm not going. And Mordechai says, If you're not going to go, at this moment, you you and your father, family, you're going to be lost. And he got the Lamalchus, it seems to be that you became the queen. Yeah, you were from, you said to Hillim, and you hid, and you don't understand, and we didn't understand. But now we understand, because you need to be the queen, and all the beautiful girls, they have to find you, in the, and all your Tehillim, and because you're so holy, Hashem picked you to be the messenger of God to save Klai Yisrael. And that's why it's called Megillus Esther. Not Megillus Mordechai, not Megillus Haman, and not Megillus Purim. It's called Megillus Esther. Because because she was so from, because she was such a snua, she had the schus to be picked, to be the one to save Klai Yisrael. And that's what he said. And now if you don't go, and you don't save us, then everything you did was lost. And it goes much deeper. What does it mean, Beis Avich? Why was there a Haman? Why, where did Haman come from? He came from Amalek. Why was Amalek alive? Because Shaul, who was supposed to kill every Amaleki, let Agog, the head, live. So it was Shaul's fault that there was a Haman. That's where she came from. Her great-grandfather was Shaul. So she needed to fix what he messed up. So Mordechai said, if you don't go now, at Ubeisavich, you and where you come from, you come from Shaul, there's nobody to fix what he did wrong. You're the one to fix. Why do you deserve to be the one to fix? Because you were Tznua. Because you said to him. Because you David. You're thinking, oh my gosh, I did all this, and God threw me to the, to the lions. Just the opposite. Because you did all that, God made you the one to save Klai Yisrael. That's what I was talking about before. You have to understand, she was in the worst place. It didn't make any sense. All the other girls who weren't so from, they didn't get chosen. They didn't get cho- The frumous girl in Shushan got chosen. Like, it was like, what? Like, why? why? What's going on over here? And the answer is yes. Because she was from, she was chosen to save Klai Yisrael. So that's the level of understanding that if there's a Hashem, nothing is random. Even things that look so bad and so wrong is not random. Because Hashem is not random. Hashem is very particular that every blade of grass that grows in this world, He commands to grow. 
There's hashgacha pratis. Hashgacha pratis means that everything that has has its special hashgacha. May we all be zayfed to spend Purim and Eretz Yisrael with Mashiach. May we be amen. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.